Good morning. It's good to be with you as we resume our reflection time together as we continue studying God's Word. It's good to be with you. We finished yesterday, um, 2 Corinthians. Oh, for those who don't know, I'm Andy Stoddard. Thanks for joining me, however you are, through Facebook or YouTube, social media. However you're watching this, thanks for being a part of this. Yesterday, we finished up with um, 2 Corinthians. We've been in 2 Corinthians for a while, and uh, we're going to go in our reflecting time together. We're going to go new, old, new, old, new, old. I want us to, however long we do this, get a whole view of Scripture. It's important for us as Christians to understand the totality of God's Word, to understand the Old and the New Testament, because we are both. We believe that all of Scripture is inspired, all of it's God's Word, and all of it has something to say to us. So I don't want to just stay rooted in one section, but I want us to know all of Scripture, because Scripture is such a powerful resource and tool for us. It's God's authoritative holy word. Um, scripture has much to teach us. And when we, when we understand scripture in totality from beginning to end, it all makes sense because scripture is a book that builds upon itself. Scripture has much to teach us. Scripture is not a world history, but it has world history in it. Scripture is a specific thing. It's the story of God's plan of the creation of humanity, the fall of humanity, and then God's plan to redeem humanity after its fall, ultimately completing in his return, in Christ's return, and all things being restored. It was the plan of our creation, being made in the image of God, of our fall into sin and the corruption of the image of God. Then God, how God goes about redeeming that fall. And God redeems the fall through covenant. Scripture is a story of covenant from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's a story of covenant. Covenant is God making an agreement with us or making a building, being a God of relationship and promises to us. So scripture is full of God's covenant with people where God says, if you do this, I'll do this. And every covenant has with it a sign. So for instance, Noah, God promises never flood the earth again. What's the covenant for Noah? Rainbow. God promises or covenants with Abraham that Abraham will be his people, that the descendants of Abraham will be his people. He will be their God. They will be as numerous as the stars in the heaven and as the sand upon the seashore. And they will have a land and a promise and an inheritance. The sign of that covenant was circumcision. He makes a covenant with David that a, a descendant of David will rule for all ages. Well, that sign of the covenant for us as Christians is Jesus as a son of David. For us as Christians, we're under the new covenant of grace, that God covenants our relationship with us through grace. It's by grace you have been saved, not by works, lest no man can boast, what Paul tells us. If we believe in our heart and confess our mouth, we shall be saved. If we believe, we shall not perish. We are saved not through works, but through grace. We are under the covenant of grace. And so the sign of that covenant of grace is the sign of baptism. Baptism is our sign that we are part of the covenant community. Thus, for us as Christians, Baptism, particularly those of us as Christians that baptize infants, Methodist, Episcopal, Episcopalians, Catholics, Lutherans, uh, other denominations that baptize infants, we baptize, one of the reasons why we baptize infants, in, 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 infants is because just as children were circumcised under the old covenant to show they were part of God's covenant family, we baptize under the new covenant to show that we're part of God's covenant family. And just as they were marked as part of the covenant family through circumcision, they had to then accept that that gift of covenant for themselves, we do much the same. So an infant will be baptized in our tradition, marked as one of God's very own, part of the covenant family. Then that child would at 
the appropriate time through a profession of faith, through confirmation, they would receive or claim the confirmation, receive that covenant for themselves. So we would say baptism for us in our tradition is a marking of the covenant of grace that extends to all that are part of God's covenant family. And we claim it as ourselves. Anyway, you didn't come here for a conversation about the United Methodist view of baptism, but man, I can't help myself. But scripture, when you understand it in totality, helps things make sense. Because you see bookends. And you see things work out. So, for instance, the Bible begins in Genesis in a garden. Garden of Eden. Where does the Bible end in Revelation? In a garden. We see in Genesis the Tower of Babel. At Babel, the one group, because of human sin, becomes many with many different languages. And God scatters them because of their sin. In Babel, the one becomes many. Contrast that with Pentecost. At Pentecost, the many become one because of the Holy Spirit. So because of sin, the one are scattered. Because of the Holy Spirit, the many are gathered in. Do you see how Babel and Pentecost are kind of bookends there? The scripture's full of things like that. That's why it's important to read all the Bible and to understand all of scripture. Not just our favorite book, not just our favorite part, but all the Bible. So we're gonna we're gonna go back and forth between old and new. So we're going to the Old Testament, and I wanted to do something shorter, uh, and I thought, well, let's do one of my favorite minor prophets, and that's the prophet Habakkuk. We're going to study Habakkuk in the next few a few days, honestly. It's a short book, three chapters. And you notice I called Habakkuk a minor prophet. The Old Testament has two types of prophets, major prophets and minor prophets. Let's first talk about what a prophet was, and let's talk about the difference between major and minor. The difference between major and minor is very simple. The length of their book. That's the only difference. One is not holier or better than another. Major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, uh, Ezekiel. These are books of prophecy that are dozens of chapters long. Isaiah's over 60 chapters. So just lengthy books. Your minor prophets are shorter. Habakkuk, three chapters. Your minor prophets just are shorter books. In fact, in the original Jewish text, they were compiled into one book, the Book of the Twelve. So you had your major prophets that were individual books. Your minor prophets were compiled into one larger book. That's the only difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet. It's not the importance of their words. It's not the inspiration of the Spirit. It's simply one is a longer book, one's a shorter book. Major or longer, minor or shorter. That's the only difference. Let's talk about who a prophet was, though. A prophet was somebody who spoke the word of the Lord. Remember, I mentioned Pentecost not long ago. On Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell, and all persons received the Holy Spirit. As United Methodists, we believe what's called prevenient grace. That means God's grace is given to us, to all persons, and they then receive that grace. James says, all good gifts come from above. So if it's in your life, and it's good, it's a gift of God's grace. That's the Holy Spirit at work. The Spirit gives grace. So the Spirit's given to all persons. All of us can know the Spirit and experience the Spirit. That's the way it works post-Pentecost. Pre-Pentecost, the Bible's very specific. It'll say the Spirit of God fell upon so-and-so. You see that all throughout the Old Testament. And the Spirit of God fell upon so-and-so. The Spirit of God came upon so-and-so. The terrible analogy I use is think of it like a rifle versus a buckshot. Post-Pentecost, the, 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 the Holy Spirit's a buckshot. Flung wide for everybody. Everybody gets it. Pre-Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's a rifle. 
targeted at one specific purpose, purpose, person, targeted at one specific person given specifically to them for the specific purpose that God has given to them. So pre-Pentecost, targeted. Post-Pentecost, everyone gets it. So the, the prophets are individuals who the Spirit of God has fallen upon, and they have a message for God. See, we think prophecy and we think future-telling. That's not what prophecy is. Now, there are future-telling elements to the prophets. Many of them have prophecies of the future, but the prophet speaks the word of God that God has for the people. So quite often in the Old Testament, the prophecies are not future-telling, but they're more about correction of sin that the people are engaged in in that context. Usually idolatry and immorality and stealing from the poor. Those tend to be the main condemnations God has for the people of Israel, you know, Judah, in the prophecies. So the prophet is one that has the word of God fall upon them, and they speak a word of God for the people. As a pastor, as a preacher, there are prophetic elements to what I do as a preacher. There are times, every time I preach, I try to speak what God has for me. But there have been specific times, I can name them, when God's spirit came upon me when I went to preach, and I'm like, I'm not going to preach the sermon I wrote. I'm going to say this word that God has for you. That's not every Sunday. Most Sundays are I preach the prepared text that I'd worked on that week and the weeks before. But sometimes God says, no, you're preaching this. And those are powerful moments. Those are powerful moments. Every preacher has to, has to them a prof prophetic duty and a prophetic job to speak the word that God has for their people at that time. So that's what the prophets were. The, the, these books of pro, these prophet, these books, these were basically sermons or dialogues that the prophets' followers recorded. Think about how John the Baptist had, he was a prophet. He had disciples who followed him. They would have recorded his works. In the same way, Habakkuk had disciples who followed him, and they would have followed his, his followed him and recorded his works. So these books of prophecy are, if you will, the first sermon anthologies. They're, they're given, their people record, wrote them down so that we have them now. So Habakkuk, Habakkuk deals with a problem that we deal with now. Why do the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? And how does God use evil men in this plan? Habakkuk's a great book. It's a book that I've loved for a long time, and it speaks to me a lot. So I'm looking forward to journeying together with you through Habakkuk. So I want to give you a brief overview of Scripture, how it kind of all fits together, as well as who the prophets were and then specifically Habakkuk. So join us tomorrow as we begin our walking together through Habakkuk. Thanks for joining us today. See you tomorrow morning.